This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraos. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Sridhama from the AD program. And I'm Elaine from the AMARC program. Welcome back to GSAP Conversations. In today's episode, CCCP student Emmanuel Olankwa speaks with architectural historian Sophie Harshal. Harshal is an assistant professor for architectural history and theory at the University of Pennsylvania. Her scholarly work centers on modern architecture and urban culture in Austria, Germany, and the United States, with a focus on the history of social movements, gender studies, and environmental history. Their conversation centers around Harshal's book, Memories of the Resistance, Margaret Shuley Hosky and the Architectural Collective Dissidents, 1918-1989, in which she analyzed the work of Austrian architect and activist Margaret Shuley Hosky. Harshal shares with us her strong interest in the social implication of architecture. She also discussed the way in which architecture can be perceived as a communal form of radical resistance. This podcast is produced by Columbia GSEP, you can find more about us on arf.columbia.edu. Thanks for listening. My name is Emmanuel Olunqua, and I'm a first-year CCCP student at GSAP. And I'm here today to have a conversation with Sophie Hossel. A lot of your work, the project about um, Margaret and resistance, like, is really concerned with resistance. Like, what are the social architectural like implications of resistance or how does resistance like materialize both like socially and structurally often i think we come to our projects really because of study right actually the work on the resistance was something that came to me slowly and also the theoretical frameworks the project warranted as you've already said for me, it was really important. It came from a disciplinary problem in the sense that I felt there is such an important history to be learned through Margarete Schutihotsky's book about spatiality and how resistance is spatialized, that that needed to be the main focus of the project. Also, the longer I looked at that, I realized that there had been this gap that from the specific working method that for architectural historians, because of the disciplinary fixations on discourse in modern architecture, for example, it was very hard to break out from within modern architecture into transference of real spatial histories of dissidents. I'd seen that be done by other scholars in, you know, on post-war material, but not in that context. And then on the other hand, in Holocaust studies, there is um, a subfield that looks at resistance art, but that had mainly been looked at through drawings um, rather than spaces. And so for me, what became really important is that in some way the spatiality of resistance lay between those two fields and there were kind of few examples. It hadn't been adequately theorized. So I think from the work, what I would say is that, as you already said, that I have found these spatial strategies to be both structural 
and communal. There are usually infrastructures of care. They usually move from the smallest of things, like sometimes really the rendering of a few words um, on cloth, for example, to a really large-scale geopolitical thinking or strategizing how to move across borders, like all of these um, strategies are spatial. But I think most importantly, all of those were about care and collectivity and um, oftentimes the what, what could broadly still, in my view, be defined as re- res- resistance art. They usually rely on multiple people and a kind of community. Um, so for example, once a text was rendered, the question was always how could it be transferred and then who would do such a dangerous labor. Your work also is concerned with like multiplicity, collectivity, specificity. Like these are the essential frameworks to think through and build architectural theoretical intervention. How are they realized in your practice and how do you see them realized in the world? Yesterday during your talk it was disclosed that you collect like popular ephemera and, and postcards and it reminds me of this show that I was working on earlier I was doing research on and postcards were used and like I was just wondering like how you relate to that like collecting practice or like how I mean it makes sense architecturally like why you would be gravitated toward that ephemera but again was that something that you were cognizant of and I you know I was thinking about your research and and your like theoretical practice and how it is very archaeological Mm. and in its social realization or like how it kind of materializes um, socially and it makes a lot of sense that Luhaski's work or like you you would gravitate so much towards Luhaski's work given like communal aspect of it because to me architecture is a very collaborative process or like the scope of architecture is very collaborative and that if you're doing it right you know if you're building a building and you're responding to the environment or you're providing people with these set of conditions or the or your intention behind providing people with these set of intentions or conditions. How do you engage with ephemera, these ephemeral objects that you collect? And what do you think the importance of like community is through an architectural canon? Yeah, I think that's a really wonderful question. I always had a strong feeling that one of architecture's profound qualities was the communal work, both in terms of that architecture is uh, co-produced even in the design process, but also really to keep a keen eye on how architecture is produced through community. And in that, I was pretty early on always interested in inhabitants, um, how meaning is made and how architecture is made kind of without the agency of designers, how it's read, how it's, uh, I guess, consumed, although that was never so much my focus. But I do think it's funny that you mentioned the postcards, that I was interested also in how architecture, and especially modern architecture, so Felicity didn't say that yesterday, but most of these are are postcards of, of modern buildings that have been canonized. And so I was always more interested in how these then were depicted by different companies and how people wrote about them in different ways. In terms of collectivity, I think I always gravitate towards forms of 
community that are strong, I guess, in a way. And that has been hard because there is, of course, you know, Kelly Stilling and I, we were talking a lot about also the violence of a group. And that's very much in, ingrained in the history of architecture, especially in kind of this thrust of utopian thinking that we actually have to ask who is excluded from the group how does the group make violence from within itself Denise Froman always says every utopia is exclusionary so so I think that's something to reconcile in looking at groups and and even how com community is produced and then who is left out of that community. On the other hand, a kind of agency that is certainly I mean, analytically more interesting than, to me than kind of a single author design is there to analyze. And what I would also say is that I think at the end of the day, that is what we have left, a kind of human agency to... Um, combat the structures of violence or power that oppresses people. I think in terms of scholarship, what was always difficult for my work is that I think the field has pivoted more to analyzing systems. I mean, and of course, there's even Foucauldian turn to biopower. I think my work has always been kind of a bit at odds with that because I, in my work, I haven't been so interested in how our bodies are managed, but rather how we push back against that. So if you know, I guess in counter-conduct, that's what I was always most interested in. Mm -hmm. You recited a quote last night from Lahosky, which is, you can kill a person with an apartment just as you can kill them with an axe. And I was wondering what you thought the social promises of architecture are. And what I really wanted to talk about or say earlier is that this kind of flipping of the switch in terms of you discovering this legacy or, you know, creating this framework or like mapping these schools and systems of thought into a canon or injecting them into this kind of like architectural canon with the work of like the social implications that created the circumstances or the fact that she responded to these circumstances which created the framework which created her political framework and informed the type of work that she did or the responsibility that she felt to her community by being outside of it. And I think that that was what was so remarkable to me about her living in Turkey is that like by being away from the problem, you have a better vantage point of what is going on and then it creates a greater sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. But what do you think, like, I mean, well, your writing is very architectural about the process, the realization of her process mm -hmm. through all of these varying, engaging with these varying modes of like self through the conditions, like even the, the reading of the letters from prison and, and, and her needs, like her writing is very architectural mm -hmm. just in terms of like the intentionality behind both con the construction of certain garments when she was, you know, awaiting being transported. I thought that that was so beautiful. You know, like the, it, 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 survival is so dependent upon clarity. And I mean, that intentionality is like what in that kind of like mind state and capacity is necessary 
But what do you think, you know, doing that work about a subject in a time that happened so long ago and existing in a time where the landscape has changed visually and the language has advanced to a certain degree, what do you think, like, who is responsible and what does the social landscape of architecture, what should it be and what do you think it is now? So this is a really great question, and I, I like that you reminded me of the of Heinrich Thiel's quote of that you can kill somebody with an apartment just like with an axe. Because I think Shulihotsky realized very early in her life that architecture can be fundamentally oppressive, and that later in kind of that she would come to understand this kind of in a Marxian fashion, that the material conditions of our lives shape our consciousness and not the other way around. And so, and actually they would re later remark in Turkey that, so I told to her and Maya, what um, they were dedicated to was to transform the political frameworks through which kind of material conditions in life can be instated. So basically this is also the pivot then from producing architecture to, to really thinking about politics and resistant politics at it. So I also think for me it was really important to think about her work as moving from an architecture on behalf of, right, that has all the problematic bourgeois um, implications that it has on its face, designing on behalf of a municipality for the poor, that was kind of the, the first impetus in, in her life, until to political work against the state, basically. And I, I really do think those are different. And the strategies that are employed are, are different. And I realized that architectural history had spent half a century just looking at the, the former, right? Anna-Maria Leon has, has written about what she calls architecture against, which I think is really an interesting framework where she says architectural histories have in fact dealt with oppression but then they have by and large written oppression into evidence which has also sometimes uh, led to its inevitability so um so then she proposes well what if we did write architectural histories that are really against so that's where i see the project is you did ask me also something about... So just like the, intention, the intentionality behind, you know, like the presentation. I mean, like, like how like, the, 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 these things and these objects can be masked. Or, I mean, well, specifically I'm thinking about, one, what does resistance look like? Mm -hmm. And I really want you to speak towards the notion of like spatial appropriation mm -hmm. because I feel like those two are like very didactic and that like this, the presentation of those garments were very understated but were actually operating at a maximum despite their visual representation mm -hmm. and you know thinking about the apartment and thinking about even like language and how it's advanced over the last mm -hmm. few decades like what does and what should an appropriation, an architectural appropriation look like? I love that you know the garments also, because I think that if we're talking about types of spatial strategies as forms of resistance, 
then also what the tendency has been foregrounded are um, moments of grander gestures, right? Parachuting or radio. But in fact, the, the garments are a form of radical resistance, of a protecting of a type of interiority that is deeply personal and I just hope that in, in, in the work that that's something I can show that that, it, that that is also an act of defiance, right? Through specifically through care. Mm-hmm. That like, in, like acknowledging the, that kind of interior, the necessity of the maintenance of that kind of interiority. And of selfhood, right? Yeah. Through a, literally a type of protective cloth. But again, that, that care is, yes, can also be self-care, but there's also who's caring for you, who's bringing those shoes and the shoes that will ultimately yeah, protect you, kind of. I think today, obviously, we're faced with threats that are similar and different, but I do think that political work is called for, that architecture as a discipline has historically had uh, many ways to resist that we can look to. I think that we need to tell those histories, I guess, that we need to theorize them. I guess pencils and words and tools are where kind of our agency lies. Somebody else would maybe say this can be this can be a, a form of weaponry. I don't like this type of militaristic mm-hmm. mobilization of words, I guess. Right. Words really matter. Solmas Sharif's book, Look, derived from the Dictionary of Military Terms by the Department of Defense. She always says, it matters what you call a thing. And Denise Froman says, you can only name a thing you love. Although you shouldn't have that as a historian, I really kind of love these people that I studied. The big question is, as a historian, are you allowed to be moved by your work? And Mark Wigley said in the end of the conversation yesterday, well, what is the flip side? What about the unmoved historian? the disengaged voice and the violence of the disengaged voice that we can trace through the historiography of modern architecture. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.